So on Saturday, the 16th of March, a man entered a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand, as Muslims were at their prayer and started to shoot people. The death toll stands at 50 people and many injured. Included among those shot were, were a three-year-old boy and his father. It's the manner and location of this violence that makes it more horrifying. New Zealand, I've got many, many friends from New Zealand, and they are all lovely people. And New Zealand is one of the most peaceful places you can ever imagine. It's shocked people worldwide. Death, we know, is inevitable, uh, but such a sudden tearing away of life is something that stops us all in our tracks and makes us ponder and question and wonder. Since the aftermath, we've seen a, an outpouring of sorrow and sympathy for the Muslim community in New Zealand, an anger against those who would commit such an act, a conviction to try and make things better, and a stand for unity. Uh, I talked to Craig and I feel it's right that as a church, uh, as an elder in this church and someone who preaches uh, to you regularly, that I address what our reaction should be. Um, and I think that the timing of this, uh, this passage that we're going to be looking at today is appropriate. Uh, so uh, if you can get your Bibles and open God's Word, we are in Luke chapter 7. So we are looking at uh, the ESV version of the Bibles. Uh, there are some Bibles at the back on the bottom shelf there if you need. Um, so, okay, and, and on the little table over there. So we are looking at Luke chapter 7, reading from verse 11. And when you've got to it, just look up and smile at me. Okay. Right. So readings from verse 11 in Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we thank you that your word speaks into our lives, that your word speaks into all situations. Lord, we pray that your spirit is with us as you have promised, as we open up your word 
that you speak through, through me and you open up our hearts to learn, learn what you have to teach us today. Help us leave with changed lives, continuing to grow to be more like you and to know your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't been with us, as, as Craig said, we've been looking at the Bible and people have been raised in the Bible. So only five people uh, were actually involved in raising people from the dead. That was Elijah and Elisha, as Eric has looked at, and Peter and Paul uh, after Jesus. So two either side of Jesus and Jesus himself, himself obviously, as, we can, as we've read in this passage. Um, so... Elijah uh, raised the son of the widow at Zarephath and Elisha with another son, this time a woman whose house he had stayed in, in Shunem. So as we look at this passage, we see that the Jews who would have known these stories would immediately be relating those miracles to Elijah and Elisha. And so we see elsewhere that people are asking, for example, uh, John the Baptist, are you the new Elijah, uh, etc.? So when, when these miracles are happening, uh, straight away, the, people, the Jewish people are thinking of the greatest, uh, the greatest prophets, the greatest miracle workers that, that they have known in Jewish history. Eric talked very much about uh, the name of Elijah and Elisha, both powerful men in their faith, but here we are dealing with someone on a whole different level. And so my first point is this, Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus is the Lord of life. The first difference we see is that both Elijah and Elisha performed their miracles in private. Look down at verse 11. Jesus is walking quite a distance from Capernaum to Nain, most of a day's walk. A great crowd is with him. Now, we know that in other miracles, he's had thousands with him, and thousands who are prepared to go right into the wilderness and, uh, and the, uh, in, into the mountains, well away from any food. So there could well be thousands, certainly hundreds, but certainly it yeah, could be thousands with Jesus. And then they, as they approach this town, name, we see in verse 12 that a considerable crowd, probably hundreds, were exiting the town, mourning for this uh, widow's son. Probably most of the town, especially considering how tightly knit these communities were. It says, a considerable crowd. So, when people contest the veracity, how, how truthful these miracles are, we have to look at this evidence and we have to think that would have been pretty hard to fake. That would have been pretty hard for Jesus to set up. Maybe sending someone ahead to, to fake a, a death? I don't know. How would that happen even? And how would no one find out about it? Or fake stories, fake news as we are so constantly bombarded with. Well, the Gospels came out. Not far, uh, certainly b b before the first century, um, end of the first century, people were around who could uh, talk and verify this information. Um, 
surely such a staged miracle with so many present would have been nigh impossible, nigh impossible. And Jesus is once again declaring his ministry here. In verse 13, Luke, for the first time in his gospel, addresses Jesus as the Lord. This is the Jewish word for Yahweh. This is not something that Luke would use for anyone. This would have been blasphemy among the Jews. And so there is no doubt that Luke is declaring Jesus as God here. There is no doubt that Luke is recognizing the full divinity of Jesus at this point. You see, who else has the power to raise from the dead? See, both Elijah and Elisha have to lay on the bodies of the dead boys. Paul also later on throws him, his, himself on Eutychus' body. What does Jesus do? With a word, Jesus says, arise, and the boy sits up and begins to speak. In John's Gospel, the introduction to John's Gospel, some of you know it well, I'm sure, he calls Jesus, he refers to Jesus as the Word. And very much in that introduction, he is introducing Jesus as the Word of God and harking back to Genesis where God with a word creates the universe. He creates the heavens and the earth with a word. He creates all life on earth with just a word. And so Luke is announcing to the world that Jesus is God, the creator God. He is none other than God himself. He is the Lord of life. In verse 14, we see that Jesus does what no other Jew would do. He stops the beer by talk, uh, touching it. If you know your Jewish law, even touching the beer, this, this, cof uh, this coffin stand, probably a cart, would make someone unclean. Just turn back a couple of pages with me to Luke 5, if you will. A reading from verse 12. So Luke, 5, chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. When, is he, he, when, he was, when he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Who can make, who but God can make the unclean clean? Jesus says, I will. Who else but God can make the unclean clean? Jesus is declaring his divinity there. He says, I will make you clean. Elisha and Elijah and later Peter, they all, it, the accounts all make it very clear that they are praying to God for help. What does Jesus do? Look back at chapter 7, verse 14. What does Jesus say? He says, young man, I say to you, arise. If that is not blasphemy, Jesus must be 
declaring himself as God. Jesus is declaring his authority. Young man, I say to you, arise. He's not calling on God here because he is God. My second point of this uh, is, is this. Jesus is the God of compassion. It's a very short point. You'll be pleased to know that. It is clear that when we read the Bible that death and sin are inseparable. In Romans 6 verse 23, Paul says, The wages of sin is death. It is the sin of Adam and Eve and subsequently each of us that separates us from the life that God provides. And it is the eternal life that Jesus promises. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus' reaction to Lazarus' death. I don't know why, but people love to quote that kind of, um, or bandy around that. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And people like to almost say it kind of um, as a bit of a, um, just as a bit of an expletive. It's just like, you know, something crazy is going on and someone says, Jesus wept. Yeah, just to emphasize the point. But what was Jesus weeping about? Jesus was weeping about Lazarus' death. We see the same here in verse 13. As she, uh, and when she, uh, the Lord saw her, and when the Lord saw he, her, he had compassion on her. The widow had lost her husband, and now her son. She had nothing. This is not an aloof God we are talking about. This is not the God of Descartes who... who Descartes was a, if you don't know, was a, a mathematician, a brilliant mathematician. He believed that God created a clockwork world and then set it running and now God has no further involvement in that. This is not that kind of God. This is Jesus the man engaging with the reality of the widow's lot, engaging with the reality of sin and death. This is Jesus, the God of compassion. And my final point is, how should we react to this? How should this change us? Something I've quoted before, Richard Dawkins says the virgin birth, the resurrection and the raising of Lazarus, even the Old Testament miracles, all are freely used for religious propaganda and they are very effective with an audience of unsophisticates and children. So he's saying that those people who believe in miracles are unsophisticated, stupid, and or they are gullible children. I find it incredible that supposedly logical atheists and agnostics can be so illogical at times. They will readily uh, complain that there is no evidence for God. And yet, in the same breath, sometimes in the same breath, they will so easily dismiss the miracles as fanciful delusions. You can't have both ways. Where is the evidence for God? Oh no, that's just a story. That's just made up for, by someone. The historical evidence is there. Go and look at it. 
In John 6, Jesus asks his disciples, do you want to go away as well when a lot of the people who are following him just left because Jesus' Jesus' teachings were harsh? Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is nowhere else to go. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And this is why it is, it is easier, it is never easy to follow Jesus, I know that, but it is easier for the poor and the helpless to accept Jesus. And it's so hard for the rich and the powerful and the competent to find, uh, to find Jesus. The poor and the helpless know that if you can't help yourself, you have to go to ask to help. You know, you have to go and ask for help. And they are regularly going and asking for help as much as it pains them. The rich and powerful are so confident in their self-reliance. Aren't we the same? We hate to be seen as weak. It tortures us. I knew a woman in my last church who was incredibly good at what she did. She was incredibly hardworking. She was very competent. She was intelligent. She was yeah, valued. And, but, interestingly, when she had her first son, she kind of fell apart. Because for the first time in her life, as children do, it's just chaos. And she couldn't control her, you know, her emotions, her sleep. She, couldn't, she needed to ask for help for the first time in her life, and she fell apart. You see, we can't do it by ourselves. It's painful to hear, but those who rudely claim that Christianity is a crutch, they're right, aren't they? And we need to recognize Jesus is the only one who offers us life and that we must throw ourselves at his mercy. So, in light of recent events, how should we react? Death is a brutal confrontation to everyone. We should comfort those who mourn because we believe in a God of compassion. We should weep with those who weep because sin and death affect us all. We should stand united against those who would cause such destruction and devastation because we believe in a God of justice. But... I would warn you that we should not make the mistake of believing or representing us, ourselves, as believing in the same God. Only Jesus defeated death by the power of God, by his authority. He says, arise. He says, I will be clean. 
By His authority we are made clean, and by His authority we are given eternal life. He raised the widow's son. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised Lazarus. And after His crucifixion, He came back from the grave. He defeated death. He is the Lord of life. So what does this mean? I would tell Christians to go and mourn with those, comfort those who are mourn. Do comfort them. I would tell Christians to speak out against those who perpetrate this violence. I would teach, uh, I would tell Christians to seek justice, peace and a better world. All the while knowing that this world, in this life, in, yeah, in this time, will never become perfect. But as sons of God, we should, and daughters of God, we should seek a better world. But I would tell Christians not to put on headscarves. We are not Muslims. I would tell them to pray. It is important to pray, but not as Muslims pray. I would tell Christians to think about these uh, rallies for unity and decide for themselves when is right and when is wrong. When does it honor God? When is it right to stand with others? I would tell Christians to speak of the certainty of eternity, the eternity that is being promised. Speak boldly, speak clearly, speak gently. Speak with love, because we want to see them in eternity. Don't go out of your way to upset people. The only thing that should offend people is the gospel. And it is offensive, and do be prepared for that. Because when we speak that the only way to heaven, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus, people will get upset. But speak out of love and gentleness. Death makes everyone consider their own lives. And even, uh, even in tragedy, God works for the good of those who trust in him. Let me pray. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, our heart goes out to those in New Zealand who have suffered the loss. Lord, we know that you care for the, loss as, uh, the lost as well. Lord, we pray for opportunities to speak to them. Lord, we pray that Christians are being witnesses for your glory, for your love, for your compassion, for your sense of justice, for you being the God of truth and justice. Lord, we pray that in our communities we can be the same, symbols of love and peace and truth and justice. Lord, help us to be those, to be gentle and loving and yet speaking the truth the gospel of truth that 
Salvation is only found in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.